Hey there, everyone. This is Dan Figelli here at the Tech Emergence Podcast, where we interview researchers, entrepreneurs, and investors in the domain of emerging technology. We've been delving a lot into the world where psychology and technology overlap, which is really where we focus most here at Tech Emergence. There's no better example there than brain-machine interface, but there's certainly other ways of going about it than the folks at BrainGate who we've brought on board, including more non-invasive BMI. And there's folks really... Uh, uh, tr- being trailblazers in that particular respect in the business domain, one such company is Interaxon. And today I'm lucky enough to have a co-founder and CEO of Interaxon. This is Ariel uh, Gartner, who's on the horn with me right now from Toronto. How are you today, Ariel? Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad to have you on. Um, I, uh, I, I was familiar with your company even before the Muse headband, which now I think is kind of caught on on video and in, in press coverage and, and whatever else. Um, I wanted to talk to you first for, for the folks that aren't quite as familiar um, with the backstory on the Muse. So for people who haven't looked it up, you can Google Muse headband. Um, but how you came up with, with that design and that particular application. I know sort of mindfulness and calmness are uh, the, the angle of the device itself, and I think that's an interesting story and application. For anybody who doesn't know, Muse is the brain sensing headband. It's a very sleek, beautifully designed device that reads your brainwave activity, both frontal and temporal, on your forehead and behind your ears. It's able to send that data wirelessly to your smartphone or tablet, track your brain activity in real time, and then give you exercises to improve your cognitive function and decrease your stress. It's in some ways like a Fitbit for the mind. In terms of the backstory on the Muse, at Interaxon, I started working in brain sensing technology over a decade ago in the lab of Dr. Steve Mann at the University of Toronto. There, we were creating concerts where people could uh, create music with their mind. And we were creating these experiences where people could come together and understand the power of actually touching technology with their mind. And the amazing thing that happens when you can see the process of your own brain activity. Uh, I personally am a designer and psychotherapist, well, a neuroscientist. And as a psychotherapist, I would be sitting next to people an hour at a time and taking them through their own mental process and helping them understand their blocks, helping them reduce the negative thinking that was impacting their life, helping them undo emotional trauma, improve their relationships, career goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, there's got to be a way that we can help people with their own psychological interactions using technology in ways that are don't have any stigma, aren't attached to psychotherapy that are just, you know, clean, beautiful technological experiences that you can use every day in your life just like you use your iPhone. Um, So we created Muse. um, And the goal of Muse is to teach you to understand your mind and learn to calm and quiet your mind. While you calm and quiet your mind, you're doing a focus detection exercise that helps you improve your cognitive function, your attention, uh, and also helps you decrease your stress, anxiety, and all of the downstream physiological responses of that stress. Cool. And this is, again, as you had mentioned, kind of making the Fitbit analogy, which which I think is sort of fitting, no pun intended, uh, with respect to that. that. What did you say there? That was well done. Oh yeah! Oh come on now, geez. If that's the best I do today, I'll, I'll be pretty sad, man. But uh, but yeah, um, the the uh, so being able to calibrate that feedback uh, to some extent can at least let people in in some respect visualize what it is that's that's going on. A lot of the the more invasive BMI obviously is working on um, you know helping folks move a robotic arm or can't move their arm. Obviously, people with, with full function, it's it's. Uh, there's myriad applications from in the future, you know, interacting with all the technologies around us and 
and uh, and whatever else. Obviously, um, non-invasive BMI has a certain uh, degree of resolution that's reasonable, feasible, applicable. Um, what it is? What is it that that you're tuning into with the muse? What is it that that, that the muse is attuned to, so to speak? In terms of understanding what, let's say, attention is is represented with, or stress is represented with, per se, just for the folks at home here. Sure. Uh, so we don't measure stress. What we're actually measuring is a state of stable focused attention. Um, when you hone your mind into a state of stable focused attention, what you're able to do is resist the thoughts that you have and the distractions that you have, and those distractions can be external. Um, sounds, lights, your email going, your phone ringing, all those things that pull our attention and us crazy. And those can also be internal. So those are the negative thoughts, the worries, the ruminations, the things that cause us to feel stressed as we think about them um, because we don't tend to think about them in ways that are healthy and appropriate. We think, oh, geez, what does that person think about me? Or, oh, no, I have to do so much today. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. All of those things create unproductive stress. Um, so with news, what you're able to do is get real-time feedback that tells you when you're in that state of focused attention, which very interestingly from a neuroscientific perspective, from a brain perspective, looks very much the same as a state of calm relaxation. Um, both actually have, sort of carry quite similar uh, neural brainwave signatures. Got it. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly one for the... Um the reduction of, of stress, particularly from, from petty trifles. I, I happen to think that, you know, reading history books of people having to, you know, cross the desert and, you know, drink their own horse's blood in order to stay alive and things like that, I think that that sort of helps a lot with those like, oh my God, I have so much to do today problems, which I think are, are, are just sad, meager examples of, of uh, the human condition at present. But but uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously a, a decent amount of that as well as, as being able to tap into some semblance of, of mindfulness and, and I, I know that sort of being productive is a little bit of the angle um, with Muse as well. Obviously, productive is, is sort of a broad uh, term in some respect, but what you're attuning to isn't maybe um, quite as broad. Is it, is it mindfulness to some degree that we're, that we're aiming to sort of tap into? Is it, is it a, a state of, of brain waves or, or levels of some measurable short, sort that... Um, uh, that, as you had mentioned, they sort of tie to that sense of relaxed calm, so that same degree of focus sort of brings your brain to that certain level. Um, speak maybe a, a little bit to what the research has to say about that and maybe maybe tapping into that more often. You know, maybe if, if you live 10 years without ever sensing that once, there's some horrible consequences. Um, give us a little bit of, of the sense of why and how that's valuable. Sure. So I don't think there are horrible consequences to most things that we do in our life. Um, we all have stresses, and they're, they're very real stresses to us. It doesn't matter if somebody in the past has had to drink your horse's blood. It feels really real to us now. I try to not let the... I try to not let the uh, the, the traffic. I, I try to just think about the horse's blood in the traffic jam. But yeah, I mean, some people. I, I imagine you, you can't you can't still get caught up. I you know I just try to watch a lot of documentaries. But yeah, no, of course. I mean, you know, let's we can't ignore that stress is real. So I'm with you there. Um, so yeah, speak speak um, to that. I just always want to be you know, generous to to everybody's perspective. Yeah, I'm hard on myself. I, th- I can be easy enough on our crowd today. So in terms of the exercise that you're doing, the validation behind it, it is similar to a mindfulness practice. So when um, in a meditative practice, what you're actually doing is entering into a stable state of focused attention. 
So when you place your attention on your breath, for example, what you're doing is maintaining stable state of focus attention, which leads to an increase in alpha waves. Alpha waves represent a sort of shutting down of external sensory processing. So that amounts to a honing of your focus. Alpha waves also increase when you enter into states of relaxation. So for example, before you go to bed, um, you see a rise in your alpha, or before you fall asleep, when you're lying in bed, you see a rise in your alpha wave activity. It is a relaxed state of your brain. Um, it's a state of not active uh, processing. It's a state of um, sort of automatic or autonomic processing. So these two states are actually quite similar. Um, what we're doing is we're tracking the states of stable attention and teaching you to bring that skill to bear anytime you need it. And so that skill is both very useful when you are, say, trying to write an essay and everything is distracting you and you want to be able to just focus and increase your productivity. That skill is also very helpful when your boss just yells at you and you can't stop thinking about how shitty you feel or how frustrated you are at handling the situation at hand. And none of that is effective at helping you move forward in the situation and paying attention to your life and what you need to get done and not ruminating and worrying about the the external forces that are impacting you. Got it. Okay, and obviously that can tie to your... Yeah, this concept of focus and this concept of calm um, are actually really tight and tight. But if we look back at the research validation, um, we studies like Sarah Lazar's study out of Harvard that demonstrates that focus attention exercises lead to um, increased gray matter, um, particularly over time. You have um, studies like Jane et al's study in depression demonstrating that focus attention exercise and mindfulness exercises uh, improve Depression, Bayer demonstrates improved anxiety, uh, Bowen demonstrates improved substance abuse, Bayer again talks a lot about eating disorders and binge eating, um, Kreitzer, Kreitzer talks about improvements in insomnia using these kinds of exercises, so the list goes on and on and on. So this kind of focused attention mindfulness type exercise has been demonstrated to improve broad um, tracks of our both cognitive and physiological um, Issues. Got it. And, and would, would folks liken it to the practice of meditation in some way, shape, or form? I, I happen to have a handful of friends that will wake up in the morning and, and have their routine of, of meditation uh, to some extent where the objective, at least in some respect, seems similar, that the degree of explicit presence and tuning out of mental chatter and potentially dog barking in background um, is that a similar exercise just without, um, you know, a, a, a little kind of blipping line in front of you to be able to track? So maybe just, but, but to some extent uh, has a similar aim? Can we liken them? Totally. Uh, Great. Very, very similar practice. Got it. And the, one of the main differences here is that you can actually the activity of your brain or hear the activity of your brain in real time so you know when you are in the right state and that allows for uh, deeper and faster learning um, and the ability to maintain the practice or the exercise over time. Most people know that meditation is good for them and they know that they should probably try it at some point or do it and then you sit down and you try to meditate and your mind just starts wandering after about 30 seconds like, am I doing this right? What am I supposed to do? Uh, I'm just sitting here. Is this working? So this eliminates all of those questions. 
you sit down, you flip on the device, and then you can hear in real time when your mind is in a state of stable focused attention and when your mind has begun to wander. And we can pick up each of those thoughts and distractions very quickly and say, hey, you're distracted, bring your brain back. Hey, you're distracted, bring your brain back. Yeah, that, that's, that's a... very gently guides you through this. That's a cool... A cool effect there. It's uh, to some extent uh, like a mental muscle to some degree, right? I, I forget. I forget the other example now. I'm trying to think of of the other BMI um, example that, for whatever reason, isn't isn't exactly coming to mind. Um, the the more you know, hardcore stuff, I suppose, is sort of the the monkeys learning to move the robotic arm and whatnot. But there, there's all semblance of even external examples of certain thoughts in a certain pattern, in a certain way. Uh, Yielding, yielding that that tangible brain signal to be able to yield that particular result, and it's interesting because I imagine everybody would come about it in maybe a slightly different way. You know, you you think about a slightly different thing, or you posture in a slightly different way. We you can kind of find your own little thought patterns or physical patterns to get you on that wavelength. Very literally, it sounds like. Yeah. So everybody figures out what your brain needs to do. And your brain learns very intuitively. As soon as you give your brain direct feedback, your brain goes, oh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. Got it. Yeah, brains love feedback. Um, pe- people are into that, the whole measure-manage deal that they talk about in all those wacky business books. But, uh, but anywho, so, um, so that goes a little bit into the science, which I think is, is fun. And anybody who hasn't tuned into uh, your TED Talk, I, I, would, I would advise the, the one that I'm most familiar with, the 2011 in Toronto, um, where you speak a little bit to the science there as well and some of the possibilities. And speaking of possibilities, that was sort of the last topic I wanted to touch on. Um, clearly, in just the last three years with Interaxon, the, the technologies that we've worked with uh, in all semblance of BMI have to some degree advanced, uh, in large part due to technological advances across the board in all sorts of other domains. Um, but clearly, the future will be more of the same what do you predict in, in the coming five years or so we may be able to do with BMI, uh, non-invasive BMI, that we can't do today? Where will these uh, features be enhanced? What other functionality might open up to us? Sure. So in the next five years, you're going to see a proliferation of these kinds of devices, simple, clean, easy-to-use, brain-sensing technology applications. Muse um, is one of the first ones. And what you'll see is applications that let you play games directly with your mind, um, and applications that let you understand and improve yourself. So we're not at the point of technology where you can control stuff directly with your mind by reading a thought, you know, like, make it go faster, turn it blue. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be great, wouldn't it? And that will happen someday. That's, oh, yeah. You know, 15, 20 years in the future. Um, for now, what you can do is you can look at changes in brain state. Are you focused? Are you relaxed? Um, are you in the right zone, and use that to help understand and improve yourself. You're going to see applications for depression, for ADHD, yeah. um, gaming. You're also going to see music applications um, that, where music can adapt to your changes in brain state to create personalized experiences. Um, and then beyond five years, what you're going to start to see is responsive technology, so technologies that understand you and use that information to support your interaction. Yeah, it's, my if you, phone can yeah. already know that I'm asleep and yeah, turn it off. Or can know that you're sad and play violin music or something like that. 
So it can't yet know. No, no. In, in the future, is, in the future is yeah, what you're speaking to. Yeah, totally. So that is, I, I would say that that is a yep. you know, ten year down the road example. And absolutely know that you're sad and play violin music or. So when, you like being sad or play blondie because you like being happy. Yeah, um, and and when you had mentioned so, and clearly some of that is a little a little bit more far out. Um, we've interviewed uh, folks from Emotive and, and some companies that are sort of aiming to work in that direction and aiming to calibrate that. Clearly, there's a lot of sensor data. There's a lot of learning of human pattern data. Um, and there's probably some decent resistance to at least initial adoption there that, that all will have to be overcome before any of that hit, hits mainstream. Um, in terms of the coming five years, so you had mentioned improve yourself a few times. We talked about depression. We talked about uh, bipolar or something along those lines. Um, clearly, Muse isn't necessarily just for folks with mental conditions. What what do you mean in terms of um, improve yourself? Paint a little bit of the picture, maybe in five years, what that improvement might be and, and what it might allow for. Sure. So Muse is a device that's built for everybody. Um, we have students that use it to improve their scores at school because they're now able to study more effectively and stay connected to the material for longer. Um, and then be less stressed when they raise their exams with teacher to recall information. We have older individuals who are worried about declining cognitive function and the stress of getting old, utilizing Muse. Um, I see the impact of Muse in people's everyday lives. Um, somebody just told me the other day that she'd been using, using regularly and was in the park with her kid, her little boy is about three years old, he was playing in the jungle gym, and she realized all of a sudden that she was not there with him. She, her mind was off thinking about the dinner that she was going to make and was not at all there present in what was the most precious part of her life, playing with her kid in the park. Yeah. And through using news, she was able to understand her mental process when she's there and when she's not and apply that understanding into her daily life in ways that are now making it return more meaningful. And, and in, in terms of five years out, how might that awareness be more acute or more detailed? That that aware that maybe maybe even as simple as an example of that, of realizing maybe you're not present. Will there be more ways of detecting that or maybe more attuned ways of picking up on those uh, inner infiltrations of thought or of, of sense or, or what have you or how, how might it look better in a, a half decade of developing even where she's clearly gaining, gaining benefits now how, how might that be improved or refined or what would it look like? So you very cleverly enumerated uh, a number of improvements um, better algorithms more exercises that it falls into so you know whereas now there may be a limited number of exercises over time you will see how the application can specifically target sleep, can specifically target um, relationships, can specifically target getting a better job. Um, we're going to be able to see applications and algorithms that understand you more effectively and are able to give you personalized insights really based on you and your own brain and how it works moment to moment. Um, we're going to see the hardware getting smaller um, so that it, it subtly fits into other devices you already wear, and we're also going to see greater accessibility. And so you'll find it, you know, across platform. You'll find it integrated with your favorite tool. So now you can track how many steps you took that day and how focused yeah, you were yeah, and yeah. the mood that came out of it. So you can begin to 
build better, more comprehensive pictures about yourself and things at work. Um, and also going to see other wellness applications like sports or um, sports and fitness and see how this plays into and aids athletics. Um, and then more targeted applications like ADHD. Got it. Okay, yeah. So both for sort of everyday or recreational use and then clearly as well for the uh, – uh, for treatment, if need be, and and I think the the personalization is an interesting idea, and it, it's interesting to see how so many things are shifting that way, from three D printing to uh, manufacturing to, to self understanding, as we're speaking of right now. And if people want to not only understand themselves, but maybe understand a little bit more about what you do, Ariel, I realize we're literally right on time, but luckily I got to tackle all the stuff I was looking to tackle today. Um, where should they go to learn more about Muse or what other, potentially also, what other reputable sources do you like most when it comes to learning about BMI? A lot of our listeners are tuned into this this intersection and interested, so I think it would be great to hear your perspective. Great. Well, to learn about Muse, you can, of course, go to choosemuse.com. It's an easy um, one. There you can also order one yourself and start that process of self-discovery and self-improvement. And if you want to learn more about Brain-Computer Interface, there's a great conference that happens every year in May, the Neurogaming Conference. Um, there's another conference that happens every three years it's, uh, specifically for the Brain-Computer Interface industry. Um, and you can see that at the DCI org. Uh, that happened last year, for another two years. There's a few groups out of Germany at Tübingen. Um, and to begin that also put on small conferences around brain computer interface. Uh, and you're always welcome to check out all the resources. We have a blog that'll be upcoming. Um, that'll be a great resource point for brain computer interface, mindfulness, focused attention, and how you can help understand your brain to improve your life. Perfect. Well, uh, Ariel, thanks so much for taking the time here with us in Tech Emergence. I more than appreciate your expertise today. My pleasure, anytime. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>